0: History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as I delve into... Unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
2: What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
3: The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities.
1: Cat's out with friends last night, and uh, she's on her way home and sends me a text, and the text says...
2: Well, I wanted to make sure that you knew I was on my way home and safe. The
1: the text said, um, (sighs) I'm running late. I saw a cat. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) And I don't know if just the fact that you sent that text is what strikes me funny or the fact that you mistakenly sent it to a group text that we were (laughs) included in. Either way, I'm Becoming delighted.
2: very, very old. <laughs> I can't keep track of like what crackers I should be buying or yeah. who I'm texting right. or words for things. Words.
1: And just so you all know, we don't have a cat now. Uh, she didn't bring him home.
2: No, he was very fast. <laughs> he was a fast cat.
1: Well, while you catch your breath, mm-hmm. I got something to tell you. So, you remember back when we first started this podcast, uh, first couple seasons were in black and white. Remember that? <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, the, one of the first episodes that you did was about the dancing plague of the year 1518.
2: Ah, uh, yes, the dancing plague in uh, Strauss. Spork yeah, something like that.
1: Like that. Uh, it started with one woman dancing in the streets for no apparent reason. Tofino. And, um, how many people tried to stop her? They could not do that.
2: No, she was hot-blooded.
1: Pretty soon, other people joined in, and by the end of the month, uh, there were about 400 people dancing about the streets, just been dancing nonstop for a month.
2: Yeah, they couldn't stop.
1: Some were totally fine. Some suffered some physical ailments because of it, and in the worst cases, there were, there were people that died. Uh, and then... The bizarre dancing plague disappeared as mysteriously as it had begun. It's a notable example of what we call today mass hysteria. The term hysteria comes from the Greek word hystera, which means literally uterus. Right. Physicians in ancient Greece believed that this behavior was it only afflicted women. Of course. Yeah, that it was a problem with your womb. <laughs>
2: Because nothing ever goes wrong with men.
1: Well, yeah, that's obviously ridiculous. There have been countless cases of mass hysteria affecting boys, girls, men, women. In fact, you mentioned men. There was one type of mass hysteria that affected only men. It was called Koro, more commonly referred to as genital shrinkage anxiety.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: In 1976, in Thailand, about 350 men reported experiencing their penises retracting or disappearing altogether.
2: Yeah, we briefly touched upon that as well, <laughs> yeah. uh, m- maybe a year or so ago. But uh, that couldn't be hysteria because they don't have uteruses, right?
1: Well, see, there you go. Uh, they believed that the result, this was the result of them eating tainted Vietnamese food.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: it struck sure. again in South India in the year 2010 about a hundred men from several different labor camps started experiencing this uh, phenomena. Phenomena. But the worst case was in China in 1984. About 3,000 men reported in a panic that their penises were disappearing. And this was over 16 different uh, districts in China. My dingle's gone, but there have been many types of mass hysteria. In the late 1700s, there was an incident that's referred to as criminal hysteria.
2: Was it just a mass outbreak of violence? Yeah, or? Kind,
1: kind of. There were a series of attacks on women in London. Just like today, the newspapers had to come up with some kind of acute name for the serial attacker. Gross. Um, they called this person the London Monster. He would apparently approach wealthy to do women. Yeah. He'd stick him in the ass with scissors right. or uh, a knife. He Allegedly, he'd tear their clothing and then poke them in the butt Mm -hmm. so the women protected themselves by putting copper pots and pans in their underwear and uh, men were worried that they might be affected as well so they would put copper pots in their pants The attacks continued sporadically for a couple of years. At that point, the police started to suspect something was a little unusual. Something was going on here. The victims' descriptions of the so-called monster were never the same description. They varied greatly from case to case. Right. And then after two years, the attacks abruptly stopped. Historians believe, or at least they suspect, that there was not a London monster at all, but perhaps women were cutting their own clothing and stabbing themselves in the butt on purpose because it only affected rich women.
2: Yeah, so it was a social thing. It was like a status symbol to be stabbed in the butt. Right, and that created a
1: mass hysteria. People convinced themselves that they were being attacked by, uh, by this fictitious monster. And there was a similar event in Halifax, England. This was uh, a little more recent. It was November 16th, 1938. A couple of women reported that a man had attacked them with a wooden mallet.
2: Why, why <laughs> did you chuckle just then?
1: I don't know. I The word mallet makes me laugh. <laughs> Over the next couple of weeks, several more women and even a few men reported similar attacks, but not with a mallet. In every case, it was a different implement that they were being allegedly bludgeoned with. The police didn't know what to make of it, but after a brief period of time, the, quote, victims confessed that they had wounded themselves. There were many similar confessions.
2: Was there anything that they think started this off? I mean, there has to be an initial you event.
1: Would, you would think, but it looks like it was just the women reporting that wow. caused this mass hysteria. In 2006, in Mumbai, several people who lived near the Mayhem Creek suddenly discovered that the water tasted especially sweet, as if somebody had poured sugar or syrup into this creek now the mayhem creek is salt water and it regularly is used to dump toxic waste and raw sewage into why are
2: they tasting it in the first place that
1: is a great question i wondered that myself (laughs) who was the first person that said you know what i'm going to take a sip out of that Of course, the medical experts in the area were alarmed by this because people are drinking sewage. And what happened was the word got around that the water was especially sweet and people started traveling from nearby villages to drink out of this cesspool. Oh, geez. But the very next day, the same people who had initially reported that it tasted sweet said, oh, today it tastes salty and like toxic waste. And then everybody decided that, yeah, it doesn't taste good anymore. And it just stopped. (laughs) People just stopped drinking raw sewage, which I think is a good thing. In May of that same year, a large group of teenagers in Portugal all reported a very strange illness. It became extremely serious to the point where they closed schools and declared it an epidemic. What they found out later was that the teens that initially reported the illness Mm -hmm were fans of a popular soap opera on TV. And one of the characters on the soap opera was experiencing these exact same symptoms. Medical experts concluded that the first teens who reported the illness had, quote, contracted these symptoms from a character on a television show. And that had psychologically influenced other teens who also started believing that they had contracted the same illness.
2: I mean, obviously, there is some sort of scourge affecting this neighborhood, but it's soap operas because I don't like them. Right, I hate them.
1: Now, in January of 1962, a laughing epidemic hit a Tanzanian girls' school. This baffled school officials, as well as medical experts, It started when three girls unexpectedly began to chuckle in class for no reason. And the teacher said, hey, cut it out. So they, But they started laughing harder and harder. Mm-hmm. She tried to make them stop by threatening to punish the girls, but they just started laughing harder and harder. It was reported that the girls ultimately would laugh for days on end. Oh, wow. Pretty soon other students began chuckling until about 100 students were laughing uncontrollably.
2: Oh, that's terrifying.
1: And then the behavior spread to villages and other towns nearby. Oh, wow. Again, the schools were closed. They feared some sort of medical crisis was happening. Parents were panicked. But then once again, without explanation, it just stopped.
2: Wow. That's a weird thing, though. Laughter is like that. I know sometimes I'll get into a, a yeah. fit where I cannot stop. And <laughs> you'll just be staring at me and I tears running down my face. And my body hurts from laughing, but I cannot stop. And oh. the more I laugh, the more I... Can't stop laughing.
1: It's contagious. There is nothing more contagious than stifled laughter. (laughs) Right. The theory in this case from medical experts, uh, they thought that perhaps hidden physical and mental changes at the onset of puberty could cause mass hysteria among some teens.
2: Okay, that makes sense. Your hormones are all over the place anyway.
1: At that age, yes. And then there were the hysterical nun incidents. There are two well-known accounts of hysterical episodes among nuns. What happened was in medieval France, there was a nun for no reason began meowing like a cat. And it's reported that other nuns in the convent began meowing as well. And this went on for weeks. And it got louder and more persistent to the point where neighbors started complaining because the nuns were meowing well into the night. (laughs)
2: I'm shocked that at that period in time they weren't immediately put to death. It was pretty
1: close. The neighbors got so frustrated they called in the military and <laughs> the military threatened to punish the nuns and it stopped. Apparently the threat of punishment by the military cured the nuns of this uh oh, wow. meowing epidemic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> It reminds me of a children's book. If you want to get a nun to stop meowing.
1: Here's the weirdest one that I found. It happened in Germany for no reason. And unexpectedly, a nun at a convent just started biting other nuns.
2: If you want to get a nun to stop biting, <laughs> it's a series now.
1: <laughs> the other nuns who had been bitten by this first nun then began biting other nuns.
2: Do unto others.
1: The epidemic seemed to spread from convent to convent, not just in the neighborhood, but spilling into neighboring countries oh, man. as well. At one point, it's estimated that there were about 100 nuns or more running around biting people.
3: Oh, <laughs> the
1: episode ended just as mysteriously as it had begun. What causes mass hysteria? In many cases, it's triggered by an environmental incident. Okay. In other examples, psychologists believe it's a form of groupthink, where members of a group develop a common fear that spirals into a panic and the group members feed off of each other's emotional reactions and that causes the panic to escalate. Right. There seem to be many other theories as well, differing from one case to the next. But overall, we don't know for sure. There's not really one cause. It seems to be different causes at different times, but the reaction is similar. It escalates and it spreads from person to person.
2: It's really the the fact that we don't understand it completely is very scary because you never know when you're going to get the biting bug.
1: There's nothing more terrifying than a carnivorous nun. My sources were Historical Mysteries, uh, Psychology Today, Wikipedia, and EverydayHealth.com. And now,
3: that thing in the middle.
1: It was the height of the Cold War. On December 24th, 1955, a newspaper ad told kids they could call Santa, and then they listed a phone number. Unfortunately, it was the wrong phone number and calls started flooding into the US Air Defense Command. The colonel on duty told his team to give all the kids Santa's current location. The tradition continues to this day and now handles calls from over 200 countries.
3: Here at Box Laboratories, we're working on new podcast projects so confidential, even we don't know what they are. This is the Box of Oddities.
1: This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca.
2: And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them.
1: I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura Frame, the more I love it. I have kids. at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer.
0: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more, And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Box
3: of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth.
1: Heather sent us this email. Hey, y'all, fairly new listener here. But I've been binging every day at work. I started at Box 1, and I just finished Box 111. Yes. Uh, That is about the foot fiesta. That's the episode where the guy had his foot amputated, and then he kept it from the hospital and uh, made tacos out of it for his friends.
2: and his friends ate them.
1: Heather goes on to say, I also have some of my personal body bits that I brought home from the hospital. (laughs) I have my tonsils. In my fallopian tubes.
2: That's amazing.
1: They hang out in a cute little jar on a shelf in my living room. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really think that was too strange until a few people said so. I guess I have unknowingly been flying my freak flag. But in all fairness, I do work in a pathology lab and get body bits every day to test. I do not take these home, though. I just thought it was cool to have my own pieces. And no, I haven't tasted them.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What would you make with fallopian tubes?
1: Um, Manicotti? (laughs) Maybe. Anyway, she said that her bits are in formaldehyde or formalin, so not quite safe to eat. Any just wanted to say hi and that I'm enjoying the podcast. Heather, thank you. We enjoyed your email.
2: Thank you. Not long ago we talked about William Shatner and his cutie cute little butt going to space.
1: Yeah, I remember when Shatner got off the uh the spaceship, he said,
3: cat and jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious.
1: I think that was his official statement.
3: Yeah, yeah. It
2: something
1: was... something like that. Right. We love the shat.
2: We do. Can't get enough of the shat. Now this is a relatively new thing, this space tourism, and there are different types of of it, including orbital, suborbital, and lunar space tourism. Um, There's also uh, work continuing toward developing suborbital space tourism vehicles. And in 2020, or as of 2020, Space Adventures... Uh, was coordinating tourism flights to Earth's orbit. And the Virginia-based company was working with Russia to use its Soyuz spacecraft to fly ultra-wealthy people to the International Space Station. The tourists included um, entrepreneur and space investor Anoush Ansari and Cirque du Soleil co-founder Guy Libertaire. And those missions were priced at around $20 million apiece. So if you've got a little bit of extra spending cash and you want to, you know, tootle to the ISS, that's something that you could do. Um, Now, NASA has relied on the Russian Soyuz spacecraft to get astronauts to ISS as well. Russia's been steadily raising the price of the seats there, um, getting to $82 million each in 2015. So you can imagine, I mean, that was six years ago, um, the price probably much higher now. But if you're looking to simply cross the 62-mile-high Carmen line that marks the boundary between upper atmosphere and outer space, Virgin Galactic says it will take you there for $250,000. The company says that about 650 people have already bought tickets for the suborbital flights. Uh, which will be made aboard a winged vehicle called the Spaceship Two, and the thing is, there's no date yet for these flights. They're just saying once we get a chance, you know, you're gonna you're gonna want to get your tickets because we're <laughs> gonna get we're to, for the space times. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, that's um, that's um the price is coming down.
2: Oh gosh, yes.
1: Like DNA testing. Think about how expensive it was to have your DNA sequenced. 20 years ago. Right. Now you can do it for $65.
2: Well, now I, the thing that got me thinking about this was like, how much does it cost to actually get things into space? Mm. That's where this whole thought process came from. Well, it started with William Shatner, but let's, <laughs> you know, you can only talk about William Shatner so much, I guess. Um, the Saturn V rocket is a three stage rocket, um, which means it uses three distinct stages to provide propulsion, propulsion, Um, in order to achieve orbital velocity. And the first stage carried 203,400 gallons of kerosene fuel. And 318,000 gallons of liquid oxygen And that's just to get out of the atmosphere. The second stage carried another 260,000 gallons of liquid hydrogen and 80,000 gallons of liquid oxygen. The third stage carried 66,700 gallons of liquid hydrogen and 19,359 gallons of liquid oxygen.
1: I had never heard the exact proportions. Mm -hmm. I I knew that it was rocket fuel. And it was a lot of it. But knowing that, it's amazing to me that we did not have more fiery deaths, especially during the Apollo.
2: I think there years. were enough.
1: Yeah, well, there were. Yeah. But really, what kind of courage every astronaut that got on one of those things knew exactly what they were sitting on.
2: Yeah, the 1967 Apollo mission to get to the Mute, the Mune, <laughs> the Mune. <moon. laughs> Sorry, I'm like one of those nuns now. Yeah. All the Mune <laughs> um, held just under. 950,000 gallons of fuel.
1: Oh, my God.
2: And you think about, like, how many of these rockets had they sent up there before? Like, not that many. Mm -mm, No. (laughs) So (laughs) you don't know just how risky sitting on 950,000 gallons of fuel actually is. The NASA Space Shuttle at Liftoff, the two solid rocket boosters, consume 11,000 pounds of fuel per second. That's 2 million times the rate at which fuel is burned by the average American car. Let that sink in. Like 11,000 pounds of fuel seemed like a lot to me. Right. And then my brain heard per second. Mm -hmm. And it went. (laughs) As of this summer, hold on to your butts. Ready? As of this summer, NASA is down to just four flight ready EVA suits. Why? Well, okay. So there were 18 suits developed for the space shuttle program in 1974. And uh, (laughs) Kathleen Lewis spoke with Business Insider. And she said that spacesuits are so expensive because obviously they're complex human-shaped spacecraft and that it's important to think about them in terms of spacecraft Mm. and not just like Work clothes. Right. Those are the same suits that we've been using all this time. No. Yeah.
1: Since 1974. Yeah. No. Yeah. How do you properly launder an astronaut suit?
2: I think it's one of those things where it says that you have to hand wash, but you just put it in the washing machine anyway and kind of cross your fingers. Sure, sure. That's what I did with that sweater you got me for Christmas.
1: I remember a radio station I worked for once made me dress up like the station mascot. Mm-hmm. And it smelled like the inside of a hobo's anus or how I would imagine you sure. know, the inside of a hobo's anus would smell. I can only imagine what those astronaut suits must have smelled like after, oh, I don't know, four decades.
2: Especially since, you know, like they pee in those. Yeah, they do. <laughs> NASA has invested about a quarter of a billion dollars developing the EMU suit for its Artemis program. The what suit? EMU.
1: You're afflicted with the nuns epidemic again. (laughs) (laughs) EMU? Just don't start biting me.
2: They plan to take humans back to the surface of the moon by 2024 with... Uh, the goal of eventually going to Mars, but they need new (laughs) spacesuits. So uh, the spacesuit has to protect the astronaut, obviously, from the vacuum of space, and then the radiation that comes from the sun and other bodies and so on and so forth. And then they have to have enough uh, bulk to protect against space junk which might hit you which is possible because we leave a lot of crap up there and space trash can travel up to 18,000 miles per hour the suits also are the link to oxygen and communications and all that everything that you need is I mean that's why she refers to it as a spacecraft rather than clothes which when you think about it that way it makes sense that it's so expensive The most expensive part of a spacesuit is the life support system. And that's obviously the backpack that is just all the technology that you need to stay alive in space. But following that pretty closely is the gloves. Spacesuit gloves are the most complex portion of the suit because the astronauts need the dexterity to like do work in space, mm-hmm. uh, but they also need to be all those things that we talked about before, like the protection and so on. In the interior of a spacesuit glove is a system of pulleys and strings that kind of hold it together – And on the outside of the glove, you see there's a system of heat radiators that allow the astronauts to keep their hands warm while they're out in space. And
1: again, 1974 technology.
2: Right. So that's why we're we're working on making some more, I swear.
1: If the suit is controlled by wires and pulleys, (laughs) it's time for an upgrade.
2: But how much does it cost to get like little things up into space, like not space shuttles or space suits? We'll look at it this way. We'll take the cost of each launch and divide it by the cargo weight. So the cheapest of NASA's new carriers, um, its most recent supply mission, could carry about 5,000 pounds. And so based on the cost of each mission, that gives you about $27,000 per pound. Wow. 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 SpaceX told Tech Insider that its Dragon cargo spacecraft launched on a Falcon 9 rocket could carry up to 7,300 pounds. So that works out to a much more reasonable $9,100 per pound. Oh, wow. So astronaut Scott Kelly spent a year in space to study the long-term effects on his body. And NASA sent up a bunch of fresh lemons for him. And um, that cost about $2,000 to $9,000 per <laughs> piece of fruit. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. In, in
0: 2015,
2: um, because one of the, lo- uh, the most common complaints from astronauts is that the coffee is garbage. So <laughs> in 2015, the espresso arrived on board the space station. That's ISS space espresso by the way.
1: (laughs) Mm.
2: Oh, I love it. It's so clever. Anyway, um, the machine was created for use in space. It was actually a pretty big project with a bunch of Italians all working together to make sure that they were going to get some decent espresso to our astronauts.
1: So it was like a, a star system box
2: that cost between 400,000 and 1.9 million dollars to deliver. So,
1: similar to Starbucks prices. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, 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 no.
1: Wait, they're not a sponsor, are they?
2: No, I wish they would be.
1: Starbucks coffee that's out of this world.
2: And finally, if you wanted to bring a light set of bagpipes to space, <laughs> that might cost you <laughs> between 55 and 250,000. No.
1: Do they have to be special bagpipes? I mean, I think it would be a problem if you brought suborbital bagpipes to the International Space Station. Why? Because they're suborbital bagpipes.
2: Oh, so no, these are just regular bagpipes that were not made for a special space station or atmospheric level.
1: That's probably why those spacesuits have to be like miniature spacecraft. So they could toss the bagpiper into deep space.
2: <laughs> you think that the convents nearby are calling the military on the bagpiper yeah. in space? Yep. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> no. Anyway, I love the bagpipes. Celebrate good times. Come on.
1: In space, no one can hear you bagpiping.
2: Artwork by H.R. Geiger. So that's what I have for you. That's the cost of some space stuff. That's Space Dollars.
1: That's fascinating. Yeah. Do you want to sort your sizes?
2: Oh, yes. Thank you. As I said, of course, Business Insider, which why do they have such good articles? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Um, NBC News, Wikipedia, obviously, space.com. And that's it.
1: I'd love to go to space myself one day, but I'm going to wait till prices have dropped a little bit. Virgin Atlantic, their airline prices are pretty reasonable. Maybe their space travel will drop as well, too.
2: Virgin Galactic? Yeah. Well, they're already the most reasonable. Plus, their cruise ships are child-free, which I
1: (laughs) I have to say. That makes so many of us adult cruisers happy. I mean, great. You got kids? Fantastic. Awesome. I just don't want to hear them, okay? (laughs) Check out our website. You can get merch there. You can also uh, become a patron. You can become a member of the Order of Freaks. Uh, What else? Oh, updates on live shows when we start doing those again. All kinds of box-related activities and information.
2: TheBoxOfOddities.com
1: TheBoxOfOddities.com Box of Oddities is available on all major podcast platforms, including Amazon Music. We'll see you next time.
2: Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
3: Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.
0: Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world. Plus, tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture
3: Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story